Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're talking to Peter, the Vice President of Engineering at Enscape, a tech leader leading an effort to bring implementation-enhancing tech to the construction industry, democratising the availability of tools to create real-time rendering of construction designs to more people, unleashing the power of visual digital twins to enable creative thinking and avoid problems, and also increase sustainability in the construction world. I don't know about you, but I love to see tech being injected into an industry that is eager to catch up on the technology front and how it can help people in the complex dance of design to build. So let's not delay. Let's get Peter into the space to share his enlightening stories and knowledge. So, Peter, welcome to CTO Confessions. It's great to have you on board, sir. Thank you very much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Fantastic. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do and who do you work for? Yeah, um, so I have a pretty, pretty strange, interesting background. Um, I was born in Bulgaria back in the day and uh, spent most of my life in the U.S., uh, where I studied architecture for uh, undergrad and grad, a uh, grand total of seven years. Uh, why did it take so long? Um, well, I, I alternated working as an architect uh, while I was going through my degree. Um, but it was it was really, really helpful experience. And um, right out of grad school, I uh, joined a pretty, pretty innovative firm on the, the East Coast called Kieran Timberlake. And that was kind of where I got introduced to uh, this side of architecture that I'd never knew known before, which was uh, the tech side. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of where I first got my experience working on technology. I slowly kind of started writing my own, you know, at first it was scripts, then it was plugins, then it was, you know, standalone things um, just to kind of fill some of the gaps that I saw in the tool set for, for architects and designers. And, you know, long story short, I, uh, worked for bigger and bigger uh, architecture firms and finally decided to join a, you know, quote unquote, proper technology firm. But, you know, one that was serving the, the same space, I kind of really didn't want to uh, leave that industry that I had learned to to love, really. Mm. Um, so that's when I joined uh, Enscape. And uh, yeah, we do real time uh, visualization and rendering for architects and designers, just kind of enabling them to uh, make really, really good decisions about the buildings that they design for the world around us. Fantastic. I mean, I'd love to look at your, your product and I love the idea of being able to see some of this stuff before it's actually kind of built. Um, so just taking a step back and I'll ask in the really obvious question, which I normally ask, which is what is the problem that you're solving in the market? What is Enscape actually solving for their customers? Yeah, sure. Um, so historically, um, to maybe even go, go way, way back, um, architecture has always been kind of a strangely technology averse field, you know, and I mean, even if you look at rankings today of, of who is digitizing the fastest and the slowest, um, architecture is even way behind agriculture. We're, we're actually even behind hunting. And I think just a little bit ahead of fur trapping, which, um, well, you know, fur trapping might not even deserve a spot on there. But beside the point, I think, um, the problem that we're solving is that, you know, historically, if you want to see what you're designing, um, whether it's a building, a public park or something else, you know, you either have to draw it manually by hand 
um, which is you know intimidating to everybody that's not an architect and actually most architects and very time consuming, right? And requires a lot of training. Um, or you could use uh, some kind of software, but mm -hmm. historically that software has been um, also really, really complex to learn, to master. It takes a lot of time, almost to the point where you have to pivot your entire career just to basically master the software. Um, and, you know, you could argue that that's not necessarily a bad thing, but the problem is that basically your, your average designer or architect cannot see the decisions that they make. They can't see the impact of those decisions. And by the time they get a chance to do so, it's, it's usually kind of way too late to make an impact to the project. So basically you, you, you have a world of people that are uh, designing almost, uh, blindly or, or designing in their heads, which is kind of, you know, oftentimes very divorced from reality. So what we're trying to do is basically democratize access to that uh, to that power to be able to visualize in real time uh, and make it a thing that really anybody can access. Doesn't require special training. Doesn't require you know a, a license that's super expensive. It's just kind of a, a click of a button, um, and it's it's a part of what you do every day rather than the special thing you only do once a month or you know once a quarter or what have you. And one of the topics that we discussed offline was around, you know, the impact that this has on sustainability. I, I know this is something that uh, you're very passionate about and your company. Um, so tell the audience a little bit about how this tool kind of helps that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, personally, just kind of uh, from my background and working for the firms that, that I have, I've, I've uh, definitely uh, not just learned to, to value it, but to, to respect it primarily, you know, just because you kind of see the impacts of it day to day. Um, especially once a building gets constructed and, and you know, you see the positive or, or you know, potentially negative impacts that it has on the world around it. But um, I think the great thing about us is that, you know, we we empowered that decision making. So uh, the example I always like to use is, is with lights. Um, the great thing about real time uh, photo real rendering is that, you know, you have a very darn accurate representation of, of what the light is in the space that you're designing. So, you know, all of a sudden, if you make a window bigger, Mm. Um, you know, you might see that your space is a lot more naturally bright and you might kind of feel the urge to maybe delete some of those electrical lights that you had in your model because oh, you realize wow. that you don't need them anymore. Right. And, and you maybe even realize that not only do you not need them, but it could be problematic because, you know, based on the type of desk that you've put down or the, or the dining table that it might even be creating glare. So the point is it kind of forces you to think about these things that you may not have, uh, had reason to think about before. You know, something as simple as the relationship between a window and a light bulb, um, you know, it might occur to somebody that spent 20, 30, 40 years in the industry. Um, but to a lot of the, you know, more junior people that are working still to get some experience, it's, it's not a question that's at the forefront of your mind. Mm. Um, and yet when you see it in front of you, it really forces you to confront it and ask yourself the question, well, you know, is this the right decision? Could I do something better? Um, and of course, that's what we're doing today. Uh, we, we have a lot of kind of exciting thoughts about what we want to do tomorrow. And, you know, hopefully we can kind of share those with the world um, all in good due time. But um, mm. no, it's it's a it's a big part of, of who we are. And it's it's something that I think the whole world, the whole building industry is 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 facing as a challenge and an issue. I mean, you know, something like 40 percent of all energy consumed uh, today comes from buildings, built environment. And that's something that you, you really have to feel responsible for as you're serving this industry. I've also got a question here around making sure that you're actually delivering, you know, the customer centricity, because being the, the vice president of, of product, you know, uh, obviously customer centricity is very central to your role. As a, as a tech leader and tech leaders out there, knowing what we're creating is what's needed. Any tips on, on customer centricity? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's, the, you know, the challenging thing with that is that it, 
it, it changes based on scale and where you are as a company, right? Because, you know, what I hear a lot of great startups saying, for example, at a small scale is, oh, you know, we simply build what the customers tell us to. Um, and that's a that's an awesome approach, right? But but it only works at a certain scale because when you have 20, 30, 50, 100, 200 customers, um, it's fairly easy to listen to all of them and just kind of build what they all want. But when you get to the scale that we are, you know, when you have tens of thousands um, and, and more licenses out in the in the marketplace, you know, that customer list starts getting very, very long and you start seeing these kind of segmentations um, pop up within the user base where, you know, where something like uh, that a big firm might want is not necessarily the same thing that a small firm wants. And, you mm. know, sometimes it's even kind of a dichotomy between those requests. So I think, you know, somewhere along that growth um, that you have as a company, as an install base, um, you have to start basically creating a balance between what I call the the anecdotal and the, the data driven. But it's important to keep that balance because I also kind of see a lot of companies that they, they really throw, as soon as they get past a certain scale, they throw the anecdotal out the window and they simply look at, you know, telemetry data and they're like, okay, well, this is ground truth. And, and I think that, you know, might be true. Yeah, you can't argue, you cannot argue with data, but at the same time, you're losing a lot of the the magic that, that kind of made you uh, great and put you where you are today. So mm. I think it's really all about maintaining a balance. You know, you have to keep talking to customers and you have to make sure that they are uh, as diverse as your actual user base. You know, you have to make sure that their representation of it and not just kind of this this segment that's um, you know maybe confirming what you already know or, or potentially what you want to hear. So yes. yeah, it's about the balance between the data and uh, yeah the anecdotal stories that you hear from from daily customers. And what kind of mechanism do you use to kind of get that feedback? Is it is it kind of questionnaires or is it kind of like a real time people sending back feedback on this product as they're using it? This would be a great feature, for example. Or I think it's um, you have to cast a really wide net, and you really can't rely on one or two things, right? So the 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 data driven side, uh, I mean that's that's fairly straightforward. You you get that from product telemetry and you know goes into a database. You visualize it, awesome. But the anecdotal stuff, I think you have to cast a wide net because what you have to recognize is that not every customer engages or shares feedback in the same way. So, you know, to use us as a concrete example, we have a number of mechanisms. We have a uh, an active public forum uh, where users are talking. Uh, we have uh, an email address where anybody can send us feedback. We have what we call the customer advisory board, um, which is kind of a rotating set of members from our uh, customer base that we have quarterly meetings with uh, that share feedback. We have, you know, beta programs, feedback tools uh, in the actual product where you can just directly write a comment and, and, and um, fire, fire something off. Um, and the list keeps on going, but the point is again, yeah, cast a wide net and make sure you catch as many people as possible. Because if you limit it to just, let's say, a public forum, I mean, you're, you're cutting out a lot of users that might not want to engage with that or feel comfortable or have time. Yes, right. And and you want to you want to capture as many voices as possible to to make uh, informed decisions at the end. Brilliant. So I'm going to turn the spotlight now onto you, okay, as a tech leader in your own right. Um, what's your passion? What drives you, Peter? Oh, um, I'd say a lot of things, but, um, you know, as, as I look at where I am today, I think democratizing access to, to, to tools, to technology, to, uh, to really to, to power, if you want to put it that way, is, is really uh, inspiring for me. And, you know, today, like I said, we serve the, the AEC, uh, Architecture, Engineering, and Construction Community. Um, but there's a lot of tools out there that, that I see that do the same for other communities that, you know, either give people a voice 
or uh, give them the power to do something that they couldn't do before. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, for me, it's, it's really great to see that, um, yeah, in real life, you know, and every now and then, especially when you meet somebody that's actually used what you're building and they can kind of tell you firsthand, like, hey, you know, this, this made an impact in my life. You know, instead of spending wow. 20 hours at the office, I'm, I don't know, spending uh, 12 or 13, you know, whatever. Uh, it should yes. be eight, but, you know, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, hearing that kind of feedback really, really gets me going. And, um, yeah, making sure that it's uh, that we're building things that everybody can uh, make use of and, uh, yeah, just improve their lives. Absolutely. I, I totally resonate with you there. This idea of democratizing stuff and allowing everybody to kind of sit at the table and at a kind of level play, playing field. So another level of innovation starts off it's not about you're in the lucky place and the right company that can provide this this is basically everybody's at it and it kind of ups the game for everybody doesn't it really yeah absolutely and and i think this the strange thing is that over the course of my career i've, I've realized that not everybody understands that concept like for me for some reason it, w- it was a no-brainer maybe you know it's because aec is so <clears throat> so collaborative you know in order to put a building a physical real building on the planet it takes so many people that it's you know it's not even funny you have designers engineers building owners financiers you know people working in the legislative field to make sure that everything's up to code so uh, unless you really raise the level of all of those people you are always going to be limited by uh, the lowest common denominator the the group that has the least access to technology tools knowledge information what have you um, and, and for me, it was always absolutely imperative to make sure that everybody in this in this entire process can can feel empowered and heard. Because if they don't, again, you're really limited to yeah the, the one who is has the least access to to information. I love that. It's um, it's kind of like it fits into the theory of constraints, you know, where somebody along that pipeline of delivering the final product is pinching off the process or limiting in some way. That is the uh, the quality and maybe the speed at which you can deliver it. So I'm kind of curious as to, you know, obviously I can see an architect using this as part of their tools. Does this stuff end up, this kind of digital twin, this kind of representation, uh, end up being used by the engineers actually producing the building? Yeah, more and more so. You know, and, and when we started out... Um uh, as, as a young company, of course, we targeted the people that it made sense to target. So architects, interior designers, of course, those are you know professionals that have always kind of been a blend between science and, and art, honestly. So of course, they value aesthetics. Uh, how, how could they not? But, you know, as we see over time, is that, um, you know, engineers and even construction managers, contractors, they also want the same tools, not because they're necessarily looking you know, at aesthetics, you know, a structural engineer isn't looking at uh, whether the concrete is is pretty enough. Um, <laughs> but nevertheless, like that that level of photorealism that we give them um, makes it a lot easier for engage for them to engage with the content and understand what's going on. When you see a red column, you know, intersecting with the blue piece of uh, ductwork, mm. it's it's it makes sense, but it's less intuitive than when you see a piece of concrete running into a piece of metal. For some reason, your mind, you know, intimately and quickly understands that, okay, that's not a physical reality that we can actually entertain. And you pick up on it a lot quicker um, than when you're just kind of looking at blobs of colors. And it's it's really interesting psychological phenomenon, but um, it's definitely there. Yes. And yeah, of course, we, we also recognize that there's other pieces uh, that we need to build to better serve those communities. But it's very interesting that even at, at, at what we're delivering today, um, we're seeing an uptick in, in usage and, and requests uh, by those communities that we, you know, five years ago would have never thought that they cared for something that, you know, quote unquote, makes 3D models look pretty. 
Yes. Yeah, I love it. I, I love the idea of actually um, what came to mind was is that, you know, a picture paints a thousand words, you know, and actually being able to kind of see that. Um, but it's communicating information, clearing assumptions. Ah, that's what you meant by that kind of thing. It kind of filling a lot of gaps. So and I guess um, it, it allows, as you mentioned a second ago, that kind of alignment across the different kind of uh, fields to, to work towards the same intended outcome. Brilliant. I've got a question here around your kind of leadership in this space. So I imagine it's quite a tough job. You know, there's, uh, there's lots of stuff going on. What keeps you up at night? What's the, what's the challenge in this space that uh, keeps you uh, from uh, having a, a restful night? Uh, yeah, good, great question. Honestly, I mean, I've, I've always uh, focused on on people first. Um, and, and you know what, for, for every role that I've had, it's, it's never kind of led me astray. And I'm always reminded, um, I encountered a, a brilliant articulation of it a long time ago, and I think it came from the early days of Google. And, you know, somebody was kind of asked, well, what, what, what made Google so successful so quickly? And they said, well, uh, it was very simple. Uh, we hired the best people and we just kept them happy. <laughs> and success just kind of naturally followed. And I've always followed that, that motto and, and found it to be very, very true. So, you know, in essence, what, what does keep me up is, is, is the myriad of problems uh, that come when you focus so deliberately on people as as individuals, you know, mm. and especially with large teams, um, you can't kind of apply blanket policies or or management styles um, and expect to be as effective uh, as when you really kind of hone in on everybody individually, make an effort to understand, um, and then respond in a very specific way. So that's kind of I think what what keeps me up the most is is you know going through the list and making sure, you know, is everybody feeling heard? Is everybody uh, working in the best environment that allows them to succeed professionally? And, you know, how does that translate to their personal life? Because, again, if you if you really succeed in keeping those people happy and you believe that they are uh, mm-hmm. the best people, um, everything else kind of naturally falls into place. And, yeah, I just yeah. really want to make sure that that gets done right. I think that's great. It's a very human-centric approach. Uh, people have listened to the podcast before. I was bang on about human centricity because effectively companies are a, a collection of people. You know, that's what they are. You know, and uh, and getting the the what I call the basics right uh, creates the foundations for a lot of success. I mean, obviously, there's stuff to do, but beyond that. So as so, you kind of touched on this. You know, your style of leadership. I mean, I mean, what is your style of leadership? How would you put it in a few sentences? How do you roll as a leader? Oof. Um, well, I think definitely what I said about being uh, having a focus on on the individual, but um, also listening a lot. Um, I make sure to to listen more than I more than I <laughs> talk. <laughs> yes. Um, and and more than anything else, I try to enable others. You know, I because again, if you have the smartest people or the best people, you want them to tell you what to do. Why did I hire the best people if I'm just going to uh, tell them what to do? I, it should be the other way around. And that's, that's kind of the way that I try to structure my teams and enable everybody to, again, feel like they're being heard and, and make sure that their uh, voice is actually kind of having an impact on, on policies, on you know, management style, what have you. But yeah, enabling everybody around me and creating a multiplicative effect rather than just kind of a simple additive contribution. Yes, that's great. Great advice. Thank you for that. And um, as we kind of live in a, a changing era where teams are still remote, hybrid is kind of coming into good. What's your kind of thoughts on um, people working remotely, leading remotely as well? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it's it's great that we've begun to accept this style of work more and more. 
And yeah, you know, it was unfortunate that a, a, a negative situation like the pandemic kind of accelerated this for us. But nevertheless, the, you know, the effect is positive. So I'll, I'll kind of look at it as silver lining. Um, I think it's a great thing that people now have a lot more freedom, right? Because basically every kind of study or research that you can uh, point to shows that it's it's better for people. They are more productive. They do uh, feel more enabled in their personal lives, uh, despite what kind of a legacy management style might uh, might think, despite the fact. But nevertheless, I think it does pose unique challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, and and now, for example, something that we're learning as a as a growing company, you know, having merged with uh, another company and acquired a couple of others. Um, Diversity is an important thing to to recognize, to respect, and to respond to. So there's a huge value in, in putting everybody in a room um, that you just you can't get over a camera. Um, and there's similarly a huge value in creating, how do I say, downtime for people to be together. So, you know, it's not always about being in the boardroom. Sometimes it's about just kind of having a couple beers mm. uh, together with the people that you've only been staring at virtually. And it you would be surprised at the impact that that has mm. um, in terms of creating positive relationships and a culture of respect. Um, but we try to do more and more of that, definitely, especially now that, you know, the, the kind of the laws and regulations around the pandemic have eased up a little bit. And, you know, we, we try to keep everybody safe, but also give them the opportunity to get together, meet each other and, yeah, build that respect and understanding. And a follow on question from that is, Anything as you've kind of noticed, obviously your company is is growing, you know, and that has certain pains and evolutions that it has to go through. Anything that you've kind of spotted that are really good foundations for growth, things that you put in place that maybe reduce some of that pain and make more flow in that growth. Yeah, I think I think um, you know both lessons learned from things that we've done well, but also not so well. I think having as much of a structure as possible is 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 a very positive thing, you know, because in times of uncertainty. And, and growth can often be a time of uncertainty. Absolutely. I think most people don't recognize that. You know, they're like, well, you know, the numbers are going up. Why isn't everybody happy? Well, there's a lot of human factors playing into that because people are uncertain. You know, now in a bigger company, what am I going to do? Am I going to report to the same person? Am I going to be working on the same product? Um, very natural and human questions. So I think as much as possible, setting in a kind of a framework for, for change management is, is super, super important. And communicating that um, repeatedly, honestly, because, uh, you know, saying something once uh, is okay, but uh, reinforcing the message and making sure that, that everybody understands it has time to formulate some questions yes. uh, is also really, really important. Because what you don't want to see is uh, high turnover um, that kind of grows in parallel with your growth, because then you have a problem. And just because the logo on the company building might be the same, if you're losing, you know, all the people that got you to the stage, then, you know, mm. well, inherently the company is not the same anymore. And you are going to face some very, very serious challenges, maybe not now, but down the road, if that growth accelerates even more. So that's fantastic, Peter. So as we come to the closing arc of the podcast, our time together, I've got some nice warm questions for you. Any advice that you give to kind of uh, tech leaders and leaders in your kind of product space, advice, uh, around how maybe they can uh, engineer their careers to be smoother and more effective. Yeah, I would say um, definitely get out, get out there, um, go to conferences, go to events, talk to people that you haven't talked to before, learn as much as you can. Um, because for me, that was that was one of the most helpful and positive things was really uh, identifying a network of people and communities that were 
not just like-minded, I think, um, but also, how do I say, in a position to kind of diversify my understanding of, of the technology world or the product world, or maybe just the industry that we're serving. Yeah. Um, so I would really encourage everybody to do that. You know, conferences especially aren't, you know, they're not just to kind of sit in a, in a lecture hall and listen to a talk. They're also to talk to other people, share problems, share success, um, and just, yeah, learn as much as you can because those experiences uh, enrich you uh, far beyond your, your dreams. And, and if you're just kind of always sitting in the office or the home office, uh, you run a risk of a very dangerous type of isolation, which, um, you know, it can kind of be like uh, blinders on a horse. And yeah, you might run faster, but are you running in the right direction? Yes. And that's a question that you should constantly ask yourself. Fantastic. That's great advice. And any books or uh, films, even documentaries that have been defining in your career that you'd like to share? Yeah, I, um, you know, a couple resonate with me. One, one of my favorites is called a uh, creative selection. Um, and I'm blanking on the author's name, but it was essentially about the, the early days of, of Apple specifically from uh, a product development perspective. And it, it kind of shed light on basically how they used a cycle of very deliberate and very specific prototyping to test ideas, to learn things, um, and to create products, which, I mean, as history has have shown us, are, are some of the most successful um, in, in the history of the industry. And, and I always kind of come back to that one as, as far as the value of, of iteration in terms of understanding a specific topic. And another one on a totally different kind of side of the field that I would highlight is uh, the making of a manager. Um, I think that one's quite popular, actually, but it mm. was, um, I believe, from uh, a manager in the early days of, of Facebook, and she kind of shares her journey more on the personal side of things, right? It's not so much about the tech or the product, but about, you know, the challenges of managing a, a, a team that's very, very rapidly growing and the questions that you face that are sometimes, again, very human, very personal questions. And as somebody with a focus on product or tech, you might not be so well equipped to to answer them right off the bat and, and just kind of things you learn along the way. So I really highly recommend those two actually for, for yeah. people in, in the space. Yeah, I mean, I'm quite well read and I've not read them too. So thank you for adding to my list. And um, here we go. It's a fun part of the podcast. I'm going to pretend to be a, a genie, a tech genie or a product genie. What would you wish for from the genie to help you, your, your uh, leadership on your industry? Yes. Yeah. Um, this is, uh, yeah, I wish there was a real life genie that would ask me that. But um, <laughs> I think if, if I could wish for one thing is that, you know, everybody kind of had a, a shared understanding, uh, a shared language. And when I say language, I, you know, I don't mean it in the literal sense of English, German, Japanese, but um, just if there was a way for everybody to always kind of understand what the other person across the, the room or the computer was actually trying to communicate. Yes. Right? Because a lot of the times we, we hear the same words, we read the same emails. And yet when you ask two different people, hey, what did you understand from that? Their, their perception is, is wildly different, you know, and there's a myriad of factors that go into it. Right. Social, cultural educational, we, the list goes on and on and on, but it's astounding to me at, at how many times, um, you know, simple, simple uh, bits of communication can kind of either be a, a roadblock to, to two people working together that want exactly the same thing, or on the flip side, how fast they can enable those people to actually, uh, you know, build success as it means for, for both of them. So, uh, yeah, I wish that that would be something that a real life genie could uh, give me right now. 
Well, uh, don't tell anyone, but I am the real genie. So I'm going to make that one come true for you, Peter. Cool. So as we come to the full stop of the podcast, what's the key takeaway that you'd like to leave our tech leaders out there as kind of a, as a parting gift and, and uh, wisdom, if you want to call it that? Yeah, um, I think the key takeaway for me is that remember that uh, you, you work with people and you work for people uh, to serve people. Uh, and this, this, this is a very, very important thing for me in my career. And like I, like I said earlier, I mean, it's, it's never brought me anything but success. But, you know, your, your colleagues are people, your customers are people. Um, and and the, at the end of the day, the things that we're building um, are meant to enable them to improve their lives, the world around us. And it's, it's very important to never lose sight of that of yes. that human focus. And, you know, especially in times of growth, it can be tempting to start ignoring that and looking at, you know, numbers on a spreadsheet or bar graphs on, uh, you know, a data report, um, but never lose sight of that. You know, no matter how big you get, no matter how uh, successful you are, focus on the people because they will they will always enable you to, to get even bigger and better. Brilliant. Great advice. What a wonderful note to finish on. Thank you very much. So thank you, Peter, for your time. Lots of key takeaways for me in that conversation. As I mentioned at the beginning, I love to see tech being injected into an industry that is eager to catch up on the technology front. And it's great to see the work that you're doing. And good luck to you all at Enscape. I look forward to seeing the innovations you bring to the spectrum of people that work in the building industry. So thank you again, Peter, for your time. And finally... Remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Labs services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.